Good morning. You already heard that we're coming back from men's camp. Amen. And uh, it was a great time. I want to show a few clips about that. But before we do that, how many had a good 4th of July? Yeah, that wasn't not too good, apparently. But uh, it, w- it was a pretty wild 4th of July. For most people, we, uh, we have a house project going on and just trying to get it done. So I did physical labor that day, and uh, Terry and I just reclined that night listening to the massive explosions going around us. Our neighbors weren't exactly safe and sane. Uh, but one thing we did, we watched the fireworks in New York, and um, NBC did an amazing job this year, I think, in terms of the hosting And there was one particular segment where Kelly Clarkson sang a song, God Bless America. We need to do that right now, just uh, in memory of what God has done in this country. And uh, this is is a powerful clip. I hear sound. Okay, here we go.
Yeah. Amen. That's awesome, isn't it? Whew. And I, I sat with sitting on the subwoofer. I can tell you my experience was much greater than yours. Yeah. Woo. Things are shaking. Amen. But just uh, in honor of those visionaries and the, the people that laid their life down for us, in the words of the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Amen? Yeah. Thank God. Thank God that America is a place, as we put out the caption for men's camp, going from surviving to thriving, that the world still sees that when they think of America, that it's a place that you can go from surviving to thriving. And it is true, isn't it? Amen? That God has built that into the foundation of this country, the foundation of the belief system, and as believers, we should be holding those truths high. Amen. I, I love this quote that we built on. The glory of God is a man fully alive. And uh, that's the, the theme that we built on for men's camp. And hey, just speaking of a man fully alive, uh, I think you're here, Bill. I saw you in the back, but I got your text this morning. And uh, he just came back from Tanzania. Uh, and he saw there was 300 salvations, 600 deliverances, 1,000 healings. And in this one, this, the picture of her, na her name is uh, Rahima. Bill, would you come up? I, wanna, I want you to tell this story live. <laughs> uh, 26 years old. I'm going to save it for you. You can, you can highlight that. But uh, we, we have a couple minutes. And uh, I know whenever, whenever I see you, there's always... <laughs> I, love you. I love you too. That, um, yeah, you tell the story. Two minutes? Yeah, okay. two, three minutes, two minutes, four minutes. You got five. So, <laughs> this uh, girl was brought to me when I was ministering in an office of uh, a bishop there in, in Tanzania. And they drug her in like a sack of potatoes. She had no control over her body. She couldn't move her arms or her legs. She couldn't speak. She couldn't hold her head up. She was drooling. And she's been that way since she was two years old. And uh, I always ask myself a real simple question. Is this natural or unnatural? If it's unnatural, I go right into deliverance. So I cast the demons out of her. Come on. And release the kingdom of heaven on her. And I knew it was done. It probably took about six or seven minutes. And that photo was taken 48 hours later. And she was talking just as clear as could be. And she was walking with assistance. So uh, you, most of you know me, uh, that, that I'm just as cracked as anybody. I, I, I would never have picked myself for what God's doing through me. And... Uh, <laughs> I've been in the Lord since I was four, and uh, this year the thing he kept asking me over and over again, about 20 times, can I have it all? 
And, and that's fun if he asks you that two or three times. But after about 20 times, it's like, <laughs> mm. yeah. you can have everything. You can have it all. In fact, the biggest thing for me to let go of was my anonymity. I, mm. I, I like being small. I like, mm. I like oh. being nobody. And, uh, and I had to give that one up too. <laughs> so, God's in a good mood. <laughs> you can have anything you want. And people always ask me, my, what's going. your secret? Keep going. What's yeah. your secret? I says, well, it's real simple. I've learned to stay out of his way. It's not about me. God is love. Somebody asked me, why did God take 24, hour, 24 years? I says, people think they're waiting on God. That's wrong. God's waiting on us. Stand up. I, I, I spent a lot of time, because I was invited into a Muslim area, I spent uh, quite a bit of time reading three books on Islam. And uh, when I was there a year and a half ago at the Blue Mosque in Istanbul, the four pillars of Islam, one of them is God has no son. I go, there's something wrong here. <laughs> Islam, you only have to give two and a half percent. In the kingdom, you have to give 100%. Yeah. It's all his. Yeah. Amen. So let's, uh, let's pony up. <laughs> so we, we, we have the incarnate God speaking life to us. Let's, let's tune in on his voice and let's do what he says. How, how do you? Yeah. So... With that, kind, with that kind of move of God, how being there and, and in one sense responsible for the choreograph, how do you activate salvation in that degree? How do you activate healing to that degree? He who's faithful in little will be faithful in much. Come on. It doesn't matter if I'm standing in a prison with 30 people or standing in front of 2,000 people. It's, it's the same thing. God's, God's the same. And so I, I, just, uh, I just move. I, I do what he tells me to do. And uh, I, I don't have to touch people for them to be healed, for them to be delivered. I just tell them to do something, put their hand where they need healing. Ah. If they've never been saved, if they don't get healed the first round, I says, well, we need to clean you off. <laughs> <laughs> Go again. <laughs> so so if I, I didn't oh. come to f heal some of you. Yeah, you know, yeah. he he anointed Jesus of Nazareth, yeah, and he went around doing good, and healing yeah. all, and come and on. I and I come to heal all. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so clean them off, get rid of the demons. Boom, release the healing. They're healed. Or before I do that, minister salvation. I says, you know, for you to have the benefits of the King, you got to be in His kingdom. So, yeah. So stand up if you want to get born again. So <laughs> it's real easy. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you, brother. God bless. That's awesome. Hey, Bill, will you be hanging around a little afterwards? Yeah, he, he's very approachable for prayer and miracles. I just want to say that.
Amen. Fully alive is the glory of God. Amen. Fully alive. From thriving, surviving to thriving. Just to give you a little highlight for guys who weren't there of what you missed. This, you missed the eat apple eating contest and a donut hanging contest. And this is Jay Ward leading the way. <laughs> Before I could play, he asked me to stop, so I won't replay that. But we had the privilege of having a catapult show up that could throw cantaloupes 800 feet. So, anyway, here's another one. Check that out from one hill to another. There's nothing like it to see it live. <laughs> then we had a guy catch it in the wheelbarrow on the other mountain. That was pretty cool, too. And, the, and it wouldn't be a, a men's camp event. If there wasn't some men's toys to play with, somebody caught me with a 45, hitting targets. But again, Jay Ward, the animal of the men's camp. <laughs> Militia training right there before your eyes. So we, we used uh, that theme from surviving to thriving, and... Uh, some of it we followed part of an outline by this guy who is a, um, a father in psychology. He's been a, a psychologist for most of his life, but he's part of a revolutionary shift in, in we just say, positive psychology. And uh, his book, Flourish, was an uh, inspiration for us. But he brings this out in the idea of authentic happiness and just on the theme that unalienable rights that God built into us, the right to pursue life liberty and uh, the pursuit of happiness it guarantees the pursuit but how many know you have to find your way to happiness that it is a journey it is an adventure in God and joy and happiness and I'm using them even though they're not the same I'm going to use them simultaneously because I believe that there is a state of being a state of wellness that we just in this sense call happiness that God has for all of us and and he defines this he says it's experiencing frequent positive emotions such as joy, excitement, and contentment, combined with deeper feelings of meaning and purpose. It implies a positive mindset in the present and an optimistic outlook for the future. The interesting thing about him and his writing is that he really never states anywhere that he's a man of faith or that he's a Christian. He just begins by saying these are the principles that he, he has seen in this new move of psychology that's really changing psychology. Because he said it's been the nature of medicine and psychology in the past is to bring people who are in a distressed situation just to get them back to zero. He, he said it, it's the mindset that if we can take somebody who's experiencing symptoms in the negative, whether physically or emotionally or mentally, and if we can just get them back to zero, that we've accomplished our mission. And he's saying that's part of the problem is the vision is always just back to zero. And there isn't anything that can be added to build something into somebody's life of hope and purpose that raises the target from zero to a life of fulfillment, to a life of purpose, to a life of expectancy, where those things of happiness begin to manifest in their life. And he says some pretty interesting things. He, this is one of the things that really caught me. According to the World Health Organization, depression is the most costly disease in the world. And the treatment of choice are drugs and psychotherapy. On average, treating a case of depression costs about $5,000 a year. And there are around 10 million such cases annually in America. 
Antidepressant drugs are the multi-billion dollar industry. And, that, and that's fine if they worked, but he goes on to say that these, these antidepressants such as Prozac, Zoloft, Lexapro, to name a few, taking an average over the entire huge literature. So he's talking about all of the literature that's been available, made available to psychologists and psychiatrists from the drug companies and the extensive research that's been done. This huge literature, it says that for each you get a 65% relief rate accompanied by a placebo effect rate that ranges from 45 to 55. So he's saying you get a 65% uh, efficiency perhaps by one of these antidepressants, but he said at the same time the placebo effect is a 45 to 55. So there's really like a 10% to a 20% actual effectiveness that's related to the drug. And so, you know, that we can look at that critically and we can say, well, you know, all the money that's being spent, all the fa false hope, the side effects. I went through a period of time in my life where I went into a doctor and I was experiencing anxiety and panic attacks. And that's the first thing he wrote. He gave me an antidepressant and anti-anxiety, but I couldn't take them because it made my situation worse. And, and so that, you, don't, you get, didn't get told that, but... Uh, I could look at it that way and I could, I could critique it, but really here, here's the hope in that message. That if placebos really work in somewhat to a 45 to 55% of the time, that means that there's actually something else capable in a human being that can rise up and can create within them a sense of relief, a sense of, uh, you know, going from surviving to thriving. That potential is built in all of us at a 45 to 55% without anything else added. It's just the placebo effect. Somehow believing that something that's coming into your life can make you better, it has that kind of result. And I think that, that it's a defense for faith, amen? It's a, it's a defense for just uh, the idea of setting our mind on things above. It's a defense for all the counsel that comes through this scripture that we're in, encouraged to be and, and, and how we're encouraged to think. And that's what Mike and I, when we were looking at this material, we said, well, science once again is catching up with the Bible. And uh, so the, he, did, he looks at these two paths of happiness. And he, he talks about this idea of the pleasant life. And he said, this is the, the cultural norm right now is, is to go. And, and what's presented to us through media and advertisement is a pleasant life, a life that maximizes pleasure, a life that's all about avoidance of pain and discomfort, a life that minimizes things that push you out of your comfort zone, a life uh, that's about the target is how to escape conflict, and the constant need for higher experiences. That that's, that's the pleasant life or the pleasure-driven life. And that's the program of culture. That's the norm. Those are the targets that society puts up to people. And you know what? We buy into that. How, how many know that if you can maximize pleasure, avoid pain and discomfort, I'd buy that pill. Amen? Minimize things that push you out of your comfort zone. That, that's how we're programmed is we like to stay in our lane, stay around the things that are comfortable, escape conflict, constant need for higher experiences, video gaming is, is off the charts, all of the experiences that create adrenaline. That, that's all on the left side. But you know what he's saying in all of our research and discovery? That's the kind of life that leads to depression and anxiety. It's, it's opposite of what is being sold to us. 
The opposite result, the net effect on our psychologically and spiritually to pursue that as a target life, you get the opposite effect. And that's crazy. But that's what they're demonstrating, and that's what he said our research is showing. And he said this is where those, the, that idea of happiness begins to manifest in somebody, when they live for a greater good than themselves. How many know when it comes to uh, chronic things that the, the, the hard part for us is that it makes us self-absorbed? That it, it, that you, when you're, you're walking through something chronic, the hard part is to stay out of yourself, to look out or to touch somebody else or to, to get engaged in their need and, and to be able to look away from ourselves. But, but that's part of the goal is to live for a greater good. The idea that um, you know, even people who, don't, who come out of uh, uh, like Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12-step program, and th they may not come away and they've, in the, with the same uh, convictions that we would say born-again Christians are, and for some reason that brings criticism to the program. But, but you know, whatever is doing good is good. And I, and I believe as soon as somebody is directed towards a higher power and they open their heart up to that, it gives them a chance for God to begin to work and begin to speak. So we should bless everything that is, is being directed where people's hearts are being directed towards a higher power. Because when they begin to look up for a higher power, God has the ability to reveal himself. And he will reveal himself. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would reveal Jesus and would reveal the Father. And so we bless that when you begin to look for a greater good and a higher power. Amen? And he said, and it's about pursuing deeper friendships and relationships. About discovering and exercising your strengths. So lo looking to what your strengths are. Engage and resolve. Instead of hide and, and you know, try to disengage. It's about engaging. Develop and live from a healthy flow. Realize highs and lows are part of life. Grow from them. Amen? That, that's one of the things that he was big about, and I'm big about, is engaging. It's like not, not hiding or running from, but engaging. Just going, go into the middle of the pain and talk to God in the middle of the pain and, and see what happens. Because that's where he can speak to you about really what's going on. And we know this in this idea of uh, thriving is solving the why in your life. Because where there's no vision, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. And, and I put this up before. It's interesting, based on the Torah research, is that the word law for us in uh, grace culture, the law becomes kind of an opposite thing. It becomes something kind of negative. But it actually comes from a word where they derive in the realm of archery. It actually aligns up with the idea of a target. And so where there's no redemptive revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law, or actually has a target for life. Of, of what does it look like? What does a good life look like? What does a healthy life look like? What does happiness look like? And the idea that this looks like a target is sort of helpful. But again, this is another guy who studies psychology and psychiatry, both for individuals, but also for corporations. And at the center of the target, he puts why. Because what he realized, he said, what scientific research shows is this how you and I are made. That this limbic system, this part of our brain, at the core of it, our feelings and intuition where emotional connection occurs. And it's responsible for all human behavior and decision making. But on the outside of it, where the, the what comes, for, comes from, where most of us spend most of our life, what are you doing? Well, I'm doing this today and that today. What do you do for a career? Well, I do this and I do that. And it's, it's usually always about the what. 
And, and you can exist in life through the what? Through a rational and analytical thought and language. You can live most of your life out of that realm and never touch the emotion, never touch the why or the how. And that's where this other kind of life starts making sense and where this other kind of life starts bringing attraction is connecting deeper into that place of why do you do what you do and then can you explain it so somebody else can connect to it? The idea of the why and how. And it looks like a target, and I think it's the idea when it says um, the idea about having vision, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he ha the, those who have a target, happy are they, that they can begin to live from a place of purpose, and get, begin to live from a place of why, that it's worth solving that, it's worth pursuing that in your own life. And one of the keys to thriving and solving the why, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that scripture, but here's this idea again. Sinned, harmateno, it means to miss the mark. In other words, if there isn't a target, there isn't something that begins to become clear about the why are you on the planet? <laughs> why are you taking up space? Yeah. Why are you absorbing good air that somebody else could breathe? Why, you know, why, the, the whole thing about why do we exist that, that just combats it's such a place of struggle for so many. The scriptures answer that. It's the idea of having a target. And we've gone to this before. The Westminster Catechism, question one, in the whole volume of work that was constructed over dozens of, with dozens of theologians over a long period of time, this was their conclusion. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I believe that. If we could just, if we could just absorb that, that our target of whatever, whatever the what is, the why is to glorify God. So in, regardless of where your vocational path is, what God has your hands doing right now, how your steps are ordered, the circumstances that you find yourself in, if the why can become, I was given life, I'm given breath, is that I could glorify God. And that becomes from the inside out, the why for living. I tell you, there's a transformation that takes place in your soul. What glorifies God? The thriving version of you. And no one else can reflect the glory that he tended for you and from you. That's, that's not just a Christian greeting card. Right? That, that, that it's, not, it's a nice thought, but it's not just a nice thought. That I think for most of us, we don't realize how important we are to the plan of God. How important your slot in the plan of God, your part in the body of Christ, how important that is. You know, I, I can tell you that um, having going through this recent eye situation that they call a central vein inclusion, that... Uh, there was a little blockage somewhere in the central vein of my, uh, my eye nerve, what it called, optic nerve. And so what happens is there's, when I look, there's little missing pieces. They're small, and, and it depends on the inflammation, and it's all getting better, and it's all being treated. But it's sort of weird when you look and there's missing pieces. And it, you never notice it until they're missing. And I think that the, the idea that Paul has likened the body of Christ, the, the church, to the body of Christ, many members, all of us have a part, everybody has a function. And the, you're, you're missing part. If you're not there in the scheme of things, 
we're not the same. And I don't know if we I don't know if we all fully grasp that. I don't think we do. I mean, I know we don't. <laughs> that we don't grasp the important role. It was interesting even about Judas Iscariot when they were talking about replacing him. It said, "Let another take his office, but his habitation will remain desolate." It was sort of the idea that somebody else can come in and take over a role maybe, but nobody can replace you. It was a saying, nobody can replace him as a person. There's a void left, but what he was doing, we can cast lots and we can elect Matthias. And we, now we have 12 apostles again, but nobody will be like Judas. And, and it wasn't that he thought, you know, we think about him always in such a negative light. The guy had real questions and real issues, and there's a very human side to what happened. It's a tragic, tragic story. But the idea that he had a habitation that nobody else could take. And he was picked by God, knowing what was in his heart and what was going to ultimately happen. But the idea that you're so valuable, you're so necessary in the things of God, that to see yourself through that light and to understand the importance of the role that you have, and then simply the idea that why you're here is to give glory to God, it's sort of simple, but it, the, the effect of that is transformational. And you could go from surviving to thriving in that kind of a mindset. We also talked about, and we are talking this morning, about the process of thriving. It's not a destination. You, you think about what would it look like to thrive? And we went around and talked in our groups. What does it look like to thrive? Well, many of us, when you think about from surviving to thriving, the first thing that pops into our mind is finances. Like if I, if I knew that I didn't have to uh, think every month about rent being paid and bills being paid, and that survival mode of am I going to make it the, when the first of the month comes around, finances immediately comes into place. One of the first things said in almost every group, the idea of finances, health is another thing. Going from surviving to thriving, waking up and feeling strong enough to go through the day without chronic pain. And as you get older, that becomes part of the surviving, thriving uh, equation. So there, there's all those factors of the, uh, the idea of what may, does it mean to thrive, but if you look at it only in a destination, that when I have enough money, when I have enough health, when I have enough friends, uh, when I have my own home, when I'm driving a new car, and we begin to look at that as, as all of part of that target, we look at it only through physical things, it just will never arrive. It just, there's always some piece in anybody's life at any given time that's out of place or missing. Because it's not designed to be there for the idea of thriving. And Apostle Paul talked about it. He, he, he loved this, uh, um, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ. Use that phrase different times. And this is one of the places where he, he uh, elaborated on the mind of Christ. Philippians 3, 9. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. We stem over that. Just think, well, that's the introductory to a thought he's about to come up with. But we, we, if, you, if you look at it, this is what he learned. <laughs> this is what he developed as a practice. And he didn't have a forerunner. Amen? There was nobody. When Apostle Paul came on the scene, he didn't have somebody else as an example. Jesus appeared to him in a vision, but he never got to walk with him like the other disciples did. So he's receiving his, his uh, truth, his practices, his understanding, he's receiving them by the Holy Spirit 
through faith, and he's learning this, that this is the way of God. This is the, the, the thing that brings peace into your life. And he's telling them, this is proven. I've worked this out. This will bring peace in your life. This will bring a, uh, you know, spirituality to you. Not that I was ever in need for, jumping to verse 11, not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Now, someone would look at that and say, well, you know, there he is. He, he's kind of, uh, he's contrasting surviving and thriving. But at the same time, he's saying there's sort of a both for him. Surviving and thriving, it, it's not, there's not a radical difference because I've walked with Christ where I learned that the state that I'm in, when I'm hungry, I know how to be full. When I'm full, I know how to be hungry. That, that there, whatever I encounter, no, none of it overthrows me. And I think about it, it's just, that's thriving, <laughs> right? The, the idea that you can come to a place where you're not equating circumstantially whether you're thriving or surviving, but you get to this place where you can now have this abiding trust. You know what? Whether I'm abounding or whether I'm abasing, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am thriving. There's things out of order right now. I'm dealing with chronic pain. I'm dealing with weirdness. My finances are uncertain. But this is why I'm thriving. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm abounding. All of a sudden, things are coming in. There's money. There's a suddenly appeared. Somebody blessed me financially. You know, everything's going good on the job. Work's working well. I've got health and vitality in my body. And you, you can start thinking that way, but you still have to. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because there's a grace to abound. There's a grace to be abased. When you're on top of the world, you still need grace. You still need grace that you don't begin to rest on those circumstantial things all being placed. That you don't grow into that guy that said, now my barns are filled with plenty. Everything's cool. Que sera, sera. And all of a sudden, it opens the door through pride for the enemy to come and begin to attack. It takes grace to abound. It takes grace to be abased. But where the thriving is, is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? He does give strength, and he can strengthen us. And we've looked at this too, but this is the church thriving. Whenever you get together with pastors and they start talking about their churches and, you know, church growth. And there, there's all kinds of things that you can go to church growth seminars or healthy church seminars now. Because I guess the stigma of a you know, mega church is falling now in the cultural ups and downs. And the, I, nobody wants to talk about church growth. It's church health, which I guess that's good. I don't know. It's sort of semantics for me. But... When you come back, you, you come away with it, there's lots of things the church was doing in the book of Acts. They were continually with one accord every day in the big setting. They're breaking bread from house to house in the small setting. It said they were in the apostles' doctrine. They were giving themselves to prayer, giving themselves to communion. And, uh, but this verse, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God. And having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily... Those who were being saved. I, I think about the thriving part. And the part that attracts God. Is probably more than the big gatherings and the small gatherings. Probably more than the prayer. Probably more than dedication to the word. 
that there's this, uh, this thing over the church of this idea of just gladness and simplicity of heart praising God. That they got to that place that, that you know, they'd been persecuted. That this is right after Pentecost, so it's, it's not too far after the crucifixion, not too far after the resurrection. They were abased and they were abounded. They, they saw that stuff happens that were unpredicted. Stuff happens that wasn't predicted on the good side that's amazing, the miraculous side. But this, this overarching sense over the church was that there was this gladness and simplicity of heart. People were pra- praising God. That, to me, is thriving. Amen? That, that's th- th- thriving. That if, if we all had that sort of positive outlook and, and walking in the confidence that we can do all things through Christ, who strengthens us. That, so we're not afraid of what's coming. We're not afraid of what we're having to walk through right now. That Our, our thriving sense is Jesus is going to be faithful. Jesus is going to take us from this place to the next. You're, you're in a hole right now. You're suffering an affliction that's going on, finances. Jesus is going to take you from faith to faith, from glory to glory. Nothing disabling is permanent. Some people are stuck spiritually. You had something come up that sort of blindsided you. You got traumatized. And you, the moving forward part's really difficult because there's something stuck. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can have a target of thriving. You can, you can see that what, what happens, trauma causes us to distance ourselves from the emotional, spiritual connection. And it causes us to go to that outer circle where we just live life linear. We just live life rationally. Now it's all about what I do instead of who I am and why. It's just about doing. That that's that's the, the uh, part of the symptom of being traumatized. But you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. There's a whole new part of life. There's a breaking forward. There's a thriving that God has for his people. And I really believe we're going to get to that place. Amen. All right, one, of the, one, of, one of the joys of men's camp for me was, I, he said he's going to be here. Hunter, did you come? Are you? Oh, come on, come on up. Uh, he shared his, he's been hanging out with us for a couple months and, uh, he shared part of his testimony. And there's, there's just so much of this guy I like. <laughs> and uh, that's one thing about getting away that is now not just passing each other, but sitting and getting a chance to talk. So I asked him if he could come up and do sort of an interview style on, on his testimony. But you were raised in a Christian home, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. And, uh, but there was a point in that where your faith got tested, when, when did that all start? What did that look like? So um, after high school, I kind of started to go down the wrong path and got involved in drugs and do another thing and other things. And I had no um, real father influence, no father figure, so I would look up to kind of the wrong people. And I was looking up to the wrong people. And um, all of those people that I was looking up to nowadays are either in jail or dead, something, something or another. And it wasn't until I got myself into some serious trouble and was sitting there realizing how quickly my life was going downhill, um, realizing how self-destructive the life I was living was, that 
I realized I needed help, like, really bad, and I asked the Lord for help, and asked him to come into my heart, and he's completely changed everything about me. When did that happen? That happened uh, about, thank you, happened about eight months ago when I was um, sitting in a cell underneath a courtroom looking at time in jail and possibly prison. Yeah. But, but you're, the event when you accepted Jesus, what was that event? It was at the M24, wasn't it? Yeah, that yeah. was actually, yeah, so, sorry, I was That's okay, I, I, didn't, I didn't have a good question. Yeah. Small group that we had. Yeah. But actually, uh, in, at the end of April, there's a M24. It's a camp out, out at the Teixeira's farm, and, or Teixeira Ranch, and it's just, it's amazing. And at that event I had my first experience our first um how do I say it encounter encounter my first encounter with the Lord and after having that encounter I just I realized this is totally real there's such a light that I had no idea about I was living in darkness and was so just living like I was surviving I was completely surviving and at that event I accepted the Lord into my heart as my savior and ever since then, everything has been looking up. And Amen. And you, uh, one, one of the things, too, you had re- recently lost a friend at overdose. Yeah, talk about that. What does that do for your vision for the future? So ever since I've graduated, I've known quite a few people that struggle with depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts and um there's been a few people that have overdosed but a couple weeks ago one of my friends um hung himself and took his own life and the way that I see it is I want to be able to open their eyes to the light that I see because I've been there I know what they're going through um and it it took me realizing that there is such a great almighty God that loves us so much and created us that he really does care about us and he really does he knows exactly what we were going to go through um are are you no you're doing good man no no Uh, so are you glad that you held on until you had your encounter yeah I'm (laughs) extremely glad that I held on (laughs) we are Um, too (laughs) there's yeah yeah we are too, man. So good. So why don't, why don't you pray for, just in a, a group this size, and people follow us up online, and there's going to be somebody that's going to upload this or someone here. Why don't you just pray for somebody that might be struggling right now and just ask God to come and touch them. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. Thank you for the life that you have given us and thank you for everyone out there that is listening to me right now and hearing about where I came from and my experience I had with you, Lord. I pray that whoever it may be that's out there that's struggling right now and doesn't understand why they're here, what their purpose is in this life, that you'll open their eyes to the light, God.
that you will help them to realize that you are an almighty, powerful Lord, and you love every single one of us, God. And in your name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, buddy. Good job. It was fun hanging with you. You, you, got, a, you got a leadership grace on your life that's going to just continue to blossom. Hey, John, why don't you come on up and uh, tell us what we're doing next. Amen. God bless. All right. Thank you for that. That was awesome. That was a good message, right? That's so good. And thank you, Hunter. Um, that's not easy. You know the number one fear in the United States of America is public speaking, followed by death. <laughs> no joke. And so thanks, man. Appreciate that. I know that blessed me. It's going to bless a lot of people. And it's only the beginning for you and the voice that you have and the message that you carry. Um, there's there's um, some really exciting things ahead, especially in the near future, that are going to set you up and set a foundation uh, for a life that you would have never imagined eight months ago. And so I'm, I'm excited to watch that play out. And I'm just going to reciprocate what my dad said about the leadership role on your life. It's evident. And uh, don't let anybody put it in a box. Just be true to who you are. Follow Jesus. And people are going to start following. Um, so don't be intimidated by it. Don't be scared. Uh, it's going to be a beautiful thing. So love you, man. Glad you're here. Cool.